You've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast, episode 59. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Moses Siragar. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast. On each episode of the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show and present a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. Then we roll in a special blend of herbs and spices, bake it in the fires of creative brainstorming. <laughs> just about 45 minutes and... When we're done, the raw dough of an inspired tale is transformed into literary gold. <laughs> you have a future in this business, my friend. <laughs> we're having fun. We're experimenting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Soon we'll get into four-part harmony with two guys. That's <laughs> going to be freaking awesome. Do up, do so, up. up. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Frankie Valley. We could totally be like the, the Jersey Boys meets, <laughs> meets podcasting. I love it. I love I it. I'm from Jersey, so that works. Hey, you know, I've spent a lot of time in Jersey, so we can. We, that's one more thing we have in common oh yeah uh moses thank you so much for for coming back and and being my co-host for this this awesome workshop episode i really appreciate it man oh it's great to be a part of the relaunch of such a fantastic podcast oh you're a gentleman and it is awesome oh my god i can't this is this has been such a rush uh and let's let's keep that rush going let's keep the keep the excitement flowing the vibe high and the the champagne bubbling champagne does because i have a way with words <laughs> dear friends uh, uh <laughs> returning to the big chair at the round table after her triumphant uh 20 minutes with episode last week uh, uh please join me in re-welcoming cat rambo cat thanks for coming back and helping us in this in this brainstorming gloriosity well, thank you for inviting me to come. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, and and Kat, I, I, you have so much going on the, the 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 scope and breadth of of the things that you have your fingers in is is manyed and vast. Uh, I was wondering, would you would you take a couple of minutes and just get our listeners up to speed on what's coming up for Cat okay. Rambo? I have, I believe, by the time this comes out, you will have seen a recent story from Daily Science Fiction called uh, "English Muffin Plus Devotion on the Side." <laughs> I've got uh, another story coming out from Daily Science Fiction sometime this year. Uh, two from Beneath Ceaseless Skies uh, that I think will be both of them interesting. I have a short military fantasy coming out in a anthology called Shattered Shields, edited wow. by Brian, Brian Thomas Schmidt and Jen Brozick. Yeah, and that's. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. The story is called Hoof Sore and Weary. <laughs> I have a story coming out in Unidentified Funny Objects 3, which is based on the antics of my own homeowners association. <laughs> <laughs> a and source I've, of endless amusement, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually said a number here, but this one's called Elections at Villa Encantada, and it is a humorous story that I'm uh, pleased it, with. Yeah. If you need any more characters, I can tell you about oh, the, tre the, the tree not the tree Nazi in my local homeowners association. Uh, everyone's everyone's got one. Yeah, <laughs> um, I've got a couple others uh, coming out in a, like a steampunk one in an anthology called Airships and Automatons, and one in an anthology from Jeff and Ann Vandermeer. Um, I'm the incoming CIFA vice president as of July first. Yeah. Congratulations! That's awesome. That's Super it's it's awesome. really really fun and. Uh, I'm trying to continue the good work that a lot of people have done and uh, continue to push CIFA along. I think I mentioned last time that we're, we're going to be pushing on self-publishing. We're yeah. going to be looking at uh, 
short fiction contracts and trying to kind of, as it, we talked about self-publishing and, and electronic publishing has really complicated the contract situation for fiction writers. So mm. uh, I hope to see Sifwa doing more with that. I am editing the Sifwa cookbook with uh, Fran Wild. Now, is this um, a real cookbook? It is a real cookbook. It actually is carried on in a tradition. Uh, Anne McCaffrey did two cookbooks for Sifwa. Uh, in the course of her time with it. And we're doing a third uh, based on parties. Uh, and I've been getting a lot of awesome recipes. We have a lot of very cool people participating. And uh, I'm not going to – I have a short amount of time, so I'm, I'm not going to go too much into that. Um, next year, uh, we talked about the Griffin Bookstore last podcast. And I'm going to be appearing at their uh, celebration for, they've been going for over 30 years, but I'll be there with Mercedes Lackey, who also came through the Griffin Bookstore. Outstanding. So that will be very exciting. And actually, as of the mid-July, uh, my husband and I are going to be on the road for six months and traveling around and uh, just seeing what we want to see. Uh, so I'm not going to be teaching classes for six months. Okay. Uh, wait, wait. Is this, a, is this a vacation, Kat? It, well, I'm going to be writing while on the road. But, <laughs> okay. Uh, All right. But okay. yeah, yeah, it's 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 a vacation. We want to. We're gonna. Yeah, we're gonna go down to South America for a while and sit oh, on the wow. beach. And that just, sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, right now, I'm in the middle of remodeling the condo in order to sell it. So we have to. That's my. I've got a two week deadline. So I'm actually. That's why I was sneezing. Is I, <laughs> in the midst of sawdust and dust. Drywall and all that that's nastiness. It, that's it. Oh my god! Yes. Holy smokes! So, and and there's more, isn't there? You've got more coming. Well, I've been writing horror stories that are all about moving. So I have one about a haunted par parking spot and one about a uh, storage unit. And I just was doing one about painting. But other than that, no. I, I Life really does I, inspire your art, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I have to, yeah. Uh, any con appearances? Are you going to be gracing uh, uh, any cons with your presence? Um, I'm not sure. And basically, I kind of, if I go to any cons, I'm, I'm thinking about WorldCon, but I, I'm... Not sure yet. London. London. Yes, London is, London is very tempting, and, and we do want to go to Europe. So we tentatively have that scheduled in, but, you know, a lot is subject to change without notice, so we'll see. Yeah, that's that's life in the new millennia, yeah, by golly. Yeah. That's awesome, Kat. I, I will do my very best to get as much of that into the liner <laughs> notes as possible. I, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I'm, I'm, I'll find a way. Uh, uh, but that, that's, that's outstanding, and, and I'm sure I'm not alone in, in celebrating the fact that there's more Cat Rambo awesomeness coming out <laughs> into the literary world. So, so awesome. Very cool. All right, friends, here's the deal. I'd like to take a short break uh, uh, to promote uh, uh, an ebook or another podcast or, or some other fabulous awesomeness that's out there in the world. And when we come back, I would love to workshop a story. What do you say? Let's do it. Sounds good. I'm down with it. Friends, stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The Flashbulb Podcast. Three to ten minutes of fiction brought to you thrice weekly. From cosmic horrors to fisticuffs, fast cars and smart mouths, we've got a chill for every spine. Find it all at flashpulp.com or search for it on iTunes. <laughs> Welcome back, dear friends. And and I, Moses, I just realized that I keep telling people, don't go away. We'll be right back. 
90% of our listeners are probably on their commute right now. So, <laughs> so there's no way they're going anywhere. It's like a captive audience, which is just how we like them. Uh, so Moses, this, this is where we get to the, the meat and potatoes, the juicy, tasty bits, as it were, of the Roundtable podcast, uh, uh, the story workshop. And we can't do that with, with a, without a bold and courageous, that would be creative and courageous, a courageous guest writer to join us. And, and such a guest writer we have. Uh, dear friends, our guest writer started writing at the age of 12, creating such literary classics as The Kung Fu Cockroaches and My Best Friend Exploded Last Week. Uh, <laughs> available in all fine ebook stores. Uh, it will be no great surprise, uh, given the vast percentage of writers who follow this track, that our guest writer is a theater geek uh, of the last 17 years and has played a fork, a grandmother, a Russian immigrant, and the King of France. Uh, he's choreographed dances and fight scenes and even died twice in a single show. And that, I'm sure, is a story. Um, but uh, he holds a bachelor's degree in music theory, uh, which he's just been cashing in on hand over fist, you know. Uh, <laughs> but a five-year NaNoWriMo winner uh, uh, of almost Lolian proportions. Uh, uh, he has two novels currently out, Impedigo and Mere Acquaintances, both available through Smashwords. And his epic poem, The Trials of Halleck, will hopefully be available as an ebook later in 2014. Also joining us, he's joining us in this this grand thing we call podcasting, uh, creating and hosting the Melting Pot Cast. See what he did there? That's awesome. A writing variety show, which is scheduled to launch on August first, two thousand fourteen. Dear friends, join me in welcoming August Grappin to the writer's chair here at the Roundtable, Gus. This doesn't happen without you. So thank you so much for 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 pitching a story and and joining us here at this froth of creative mojo. My heart rate just went through the roof. This is the most awake I've been all day. See who needs coffee? <laughs> Roundtable podcast substitute for coffee. Awesome. So so how did you die twice in a single show? I'm curious. Um, well, we were doing. Uh, I'm not in a theater. I can say we were doing the Scottish play. We were playing Macbeth mm. and. We found out we were going to have a Friday morning performance for the local high school, and the guy that played Banquo wasn't going to be able to make it. So I learned his part in a week and did that on top of another role where I also died in a fight scene. <laughs> so I got to die twice, and then I came back as a third character who didn't die. Okay, so this this wasn't a play about resurrection. This was just unfortunate casting. This was just me learning lines really fast. <laughs> that which is awesome, and and as a fellow theater geek, uh, uh, I, I I know that your your fellow thespians were delighted and and grateful that you were able to step up like that. That's awesome. So you you brought a story, yes. Well, if we want to call it that, yeah. Well, we will by the time we're done, by golly. Sweet. All right, here's the deal. You get five to eight minutes. Introduce us to the world, the main characters, the the key tentpole plot arcs that are, are going to serve as the foundation for our discussion this evening. Gus, I'm going to turn the mic over to you. It's all yours. All right, I did this in seven minutes and 53 seconds this morning. Let's see how well it goes with time. <laughs> All right. The working title is The Extra Sun. It's a fantasy. Uh, the theme is that you might be assigned a destiny, but you can choose how you make it happen. The hook is a young man from a fate-centric religion learns that he doesn't have a fate, and in his search for one, discovers that he is in fact destined to bring back the symbolic gods of a whole other religion. Our protagonist is Care, 
Uh, he's the youngest of five kids and belongs to the Raven star science, kind of like a Zodiac. Uh, many people associate the Raven with thievery. Um, there's Almo, who is a couple years younger than Care and actually is a thief. He's a street kid and is a little jealous of Care being a Raven. Uh, there's Tyvery. He is a green-winged fairy. He's crippled. He's missing half a leg, an ear, and a couple fingers on each hand. You'll find out why later. Um, our antagonist is actually the group of priests called the Faces. They're oracles and fate givers, the highest worshippers of the stars. Um, there are always eight of them, one for each of the star signs. Um, the book is separated into six parts. Each one is from a different POV, but the story itself actually does revolve around care. Uh, part one is from Care's POV. He's about 12, and the big festival has come to his city. The whole point of the festival is that the faces have come to tell destinies. At the festival, Care gets separated from his siblings and finds out he doesn't have a fate. Before he can recover from the shock, the festival is interrupted by followers of the nature religion, who are dressed as winged beasts and call themselves fairies. In the course of the chaos, Care finds a small carved figurine of a raven. The raven is made of ember gold, which is a precious metal that's yellow and flecked with red spots. He pockets it, eventually is reunited with his siblings, and they all have interesting fates to tell. After the festival, things aren't very good at home. Uh, Care's father is not pleased that Care doesn't have a fate. He's essentially an extra child. And then he discovers that Care has the ember gold raven. He thinks Care stole it, so he takes it and kicks Care out of the house as a worthless thief. Care ends up falling in with a gang of street kids led by Almo. This brings us to part two, which is from Almo's POV. Um, he, through his eyes, we see that Care is starting to doubt the validity of his fate reading, which makes him think of the raven carving his father took from him, and he decides he wants to go get it back because he sees it as a symbol of faith. With the gang's help, he sneaks home and steals the carving back. He's nearly discovered and caught by his father while in the house, uh, manages to escape, but his father shouts that he's going to find him and teach him a lesson. Now that he knows his family is earnestly searching for him, he tries to keep a lower profile. While sneaking about the city, Care discovers his older sister Rita has refused to accept her fate and is hanging out with the fairy worshippers. Rita's fate was to die young. Um, she sees Care spying and tries to chase him down. Um, during the chase, she actually gets hit by a wagon and does die. So her fate comes true and Care, of course, thinks he's to blame. He watches as his rest of his siblings' fates unfold, and they're all happy. He realizes his family is just plain better off without him. Almo catches Care as he's trying to sneak away from the city, but can't talk him into staying. Uh, part three is the big jump. It's back to Care's POV, and seven years have passed. Uh, he's standing ankle-deep in the ocean, staring at the Embergold Raven in his palm. He's trying to think of any reason why he shouldn't just walk into the water and stick his head under. Um, he starts to reminisce, recalling a failed attempt, uh, one failed attempt to have worth after another, and not able to find anything redeeming about himself, he walks further and further into the water until it's up to his chest. Finally, he closes his fist around the raven carving, bends his knees, and falls forward into the salt water. About two seconds later, he's pulled out. Someone actually has saved him. He looks up and sees the face of his oldest brother, Karsten, who is a sailor and never actually stopped looking for him. And uh, Karsten brings him back home. Care discovers his raven carving is now gone, but in its place is the crippled green fairy that Care names Tyvery. And Care cannot understand a word the fairy says. Back home, the economy is failing because ember gold is growing scarce. Care finds his family's fates have taken a turn for the worse, and many of them are now miserable. Uh, Care reunites with Almo, only to learn that Almo is really Almira, who for a long time disguised herself as a boy as a means of escape from her fate, which was to hear voices. She never wanted to be considered insane, but since she hasn't heard any weird voices yet, she figures she's escaped her fate. 
of course, her fate comes true when she finds out she can actually understand the little fairy. Uh, through her conversations with Tyree, she and Carol learn the truth about Embergold nuggets. They're actually fairy eggs, and the fairies are all but extinct since so many of their eggs have been melted and molded beyond saving. Um, Care believes the fairy killing is unintentional and wants to stop the eggs from being harvested. Embergold nuggets come from a small island off the coast, so they're going to go there to stop it at the source. Um, in order to help repopulate the fairies, they're going to need to gather as many living fairies as they can. Um, they need a couple of certain things to draw in the uh, fairies. Care discovers he can get everything he needs from his own siblings. Their fates may suck, but what they've become is useful to reshape the world into a happier place, so they willingly help. Um, Care, Almira, Care's brother Karsten, and his sister Santa find their way to the island and prepare their fairy beacon. Uh, but they're shocked to realize that there is an island inside the island, and the interior interior island is where the faces live. They do know about the fairies and have been killing them off on purpose, using their eggs as currency. Care watches as the faces sacrifice one of their own and replace him with someone younger. The newest face is another of Care's brother, Reynard, the twin of Rita, who Care still feels guilty for killing. Uh, part four is in Elmira's point of view now that we know she's a woman. Care is captured, and Elmira tells Santa to go ahead with the beacon, and she'll try to rescue Care. She watches as Care is brought to the faces, and they actually offer to make him the new face of the raven. They claim that living as a fateless one is a test of faith, and they've been guiding him to them all his life. All the horrible events he's endured are their doing through scrying to their followers. They set, the, they set a fire um, at the mill where he tried to work. They disgraced a girlfriend he once had. They're the ones that crashed the wagon that killed Rita and so on. Care accepts their offer. Elmira watches Care help sacrifice the old face of the raven. Um, and as part of his initiation, they order him to melt an ember gold nugget into a piece of jewelry for himself. Elmira, unable to watch, runs back to the team. Uh, part 5 puts us in Tyree's POV. Um, everybody has set up mirrors all over the island to catch the first rays of dawn. That's when the stars go out and when the faces will be at their weakest. The dawn rays will reflect into the beacon, a stained glass window shaped like a fairy. The beacon works and the sky suddenly has a gigantic fairy just plastered in it like the bat symbol. Um, that calls the fairy. <laughs> the fairy symbol. <laughs> the fairy symbol, Robin. <laughs> so that's their beacon um, that will hopefully scare away the faces and maybe even remind care of what's really important. Uh, the fairies do gather, they start to dance, they're flitting about, seeming to make the beacon and the sky dance with them. Enraged, the faces start a fire on the island to kill off the fairies and kill their trees for good. Uh, they get a big action chase slash fight scene thing, where the faces and our team are trying to kill one another. Tyvory and Almira stumble on Kara as he's killing one of the faces, and they realize he's still on their side. The other six living faces start to chant a ritual or a prayer, and the night's... Uh, the night stars suddenly fill the sky, their light warring with the sun and winning. The trees are all gone. Uh, unless they can make more, the fairies are going to die out. The, fairy re the fairies realize this, and their dance changes to one of mourning. The stained glass fairy beacon starts to dance differently, and its shape in the sky starts to change until it looks like a raven. It takes on a life of its own, and as it crosses the sky, it wipes the stars away. The last few faces are finally killed as the raven passes, and Care, being one of them but not fully initiated, is only thrown through the air and knocked out, not killed. Uh, the final section is we're back in Care's POV. He wakes up to a starless night, alone, and finds himself on the Isle of Stars. Tyvory is lying next to him, dying. He's fallen into one of the faces' scrying bowls. Care peers in and sees not Tyvory's fate, but the fate of all fairy kind. They are destined to die. Um, Tyvory passes, and the sky gets a new star, a bright green one, same color as Tyvory's wings, to start the new fairy graveyard in the sky. 
Um, Care buries him and sees a last bit of hope, the amber gold egg he didn't actually melt when the faces were initiating him. He might be able to nurture it into a tree that can bear more eggs. Elmira and the other survivors find him. He tells them he's staying here on the Isle of Stars. The fairy's fate is to die out, but he thinks he can change it. He's fought fate before, after all. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. And, and, and other than, than my own interruptions, right on time. Well done, Gus. Okay, so uh, uh, Moses, are you familiar with uh, uh, the standard roundtable podcast disclaimer? Basically. Would you be so kind? Yes. At this point, we want to give a disclaimer. It's very important that everything else you hear from here on out in the podcast from Dave and Kat and myself, it may all be bullshit. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> probably. And probably is. Absolutely. <laughs> It's very important that we all understand that everything that is said from this point forward could be complete bullshit. This is your story, Gus, uh, uh, but but thank you for letting us weigh in. So, okay, first, let's take a quick turn around the table uh, to just get some first impressions, uh, uh, maybe ask some questions of clarification. We'll give everybody a, a brief chance to do that, and then we'll dive into the to the workshopping proper. So, so Kat, as our esteemed guest host, please lead us off. First impressions of Gus's story concept. Well, I okay, so I I don't think I have questions. I was I was scribbling some notes down as we were going, and boy, I will say when you said destined to bring back symbolic gods of another religion, I was like, that's kind of boring. But by the <laughs> end, I was like, oh, environmental epic! This is awesome. <laughs> so I, yeah, I mean, I really like the idea of of you know the, the fate religion and somebody rejecting fate, and this is a sort of this is a coming of age book is is how it kind of feels and and. Uh, I think that's a, a something that we all think about. Certainly, is is fate or not fate? And, um, your main character sounds like a bit of a I, I don't know. He's kind of a downer, um, and, and I'm just going off the way he was described to me. And I I just I would take care to make sure you I mean you can torture your main characters, right? It's a great idea to torture your main characters because the more tortured they are, the more your reader identifies with them. But but give the reader a little glimmer of, of hope or humor or oh, lightness, yeah, yeah. and and I think you've got some right, and and, and so oh yeah absolutely yeah. This and is I, very I like the, <laughs> yeah yeah I know and you're kind of like let's put all of this in yeah, and I I love uh, the crippled fairy I think that's that's nice I always appreciate to, to me it's important that uh, fiction be diverse and I think having that's not just you know race and, and class and. Uh, you know, there's just a whole bunch of different things, and that's one of them. So, awesome. Very cool. Moses, your first thoughts or questions? So, uh, is this a young adult novel? Thank you. Yeah. I was going to ask that, too. It, it wasn't originally intended to be, but yeah, I think it is. Okay. Yeah, I think so, um, too. <laughs> so, so, Care is about that age for a young adult novel, then. Okay. Yeah. Very, very good. Um, I'm just looking over my notes to see if I have any other questions here. Um, where do the faces reside do they move around they live on the isle of stars for the most of the time and just scry to their followers um the festival only happens every 20 years so basically once a generation they come out and start telling fates okay. the rest of the time they're being evil hoarding all the ember gold making sure nobody knows where it comes from oh so that every 20 years that's a super special event then it is extremely special okay okay and when they come out who gets their fate read Anybody that wants to, it's essentially a free service, but it's also a way for them to kind of keep control of their population. Just, okay. you know, keep control of their followers. 
Okay. So my my impressions were first of all that your your sense of plotting, your sense of the structure, you know, sort of the act structure and having a good conclusion and hitting a lot of the points that people hit along, say, for example, the hero's journey mm -hmm. or, you know, even in Hollywood. I mean, I, I see you hitting a lot of these points along a, a, a fairly complex plot. Um, and I think that's beautiful. Like I, I'm uh, it's clear you've put work in to the outline. So that's good. Um, I'm, I'm kind of taking a step back from it and, and just thinking what feels a little off to me without really thinking about it too hard. And Care is obviously a special guy, an awesome guy. We want that from our protagonist. Um, what, what does he really care about? My figuring is that he is actually extremely religious and has always dreamed big about having some special fate and then finds out that he has none. So he's just, he is, um, as almost cliche, but just trying to find his place in the world. Okay. When, so when you say religious, niche. you mean worshiping of the faces? The stars, the the, stars yes. Okay. The, the zodiac, essentially. Okay. So yeah. he, has, he has a sort of identity crisis going on, which gives him a good internal conflict. Like, oh, no, I don't have a fate. That's powerful. Um, yes. ex externally, what does he care about? What is he driven by? That is a great question. <laughs> that's okay. one thing i've been struggling with with him and i think that can be why he comes across as such a downer okay then the, then we can definitely address that as we move forward in the workshop awesome yes okay so i had a feeling there with him that um uh, he needs to be written extremely well obviously um to pull off this story because so much depends on him mm. um so i really need to know what what does he care about and also what are the stakes um how why is the reader going to care about care and whether or not he has a, a fate and why is why are they going to care about what happens with the raven and the faces and all these things how do you give the reader a sense of stakes so that i cannot wait to turn those pages and find out what happens next in this world well a lot of it is how important having a fate is to everybody else around him mm -hmm. um that having a good fate is a sense is uh, a point of pride for a lot of people and making okay. sure that you make that come true to the best of your ability. It's very important to his family, which is one thing that drives him a lot as a kid. Okay. So I, I, it sounds like you have the basis for a really good internal conflict for him. I feel mm -hmm. like the, the external conflict needs to be strengthened somehow. And I agree. We, need, we need to have a better sense of, um, it, it, you know, because selling that is hard. You can do it. You, if you write it well, you can sell the sense that in his culture, having a fate which is something that we can get every 20 years, is extremely important. That is an internal conflict. Your reader, you've got to write it so well that they get that and they feel it. And it's a little different than our culture, right? So it's hard to convey that, but you can do it if you do it extremely well. What will be easier is if you make the external conflict even clearer and very compelling. Mm -hmm. Good point. Excellent point. For myself, uh, Gus, first of all, uh, I'm, I'm – with 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 cat the whole notion of an environmental epic uh is actually very cool um and and god the notion of the faces and the oracles of and fate i mean you've you've really tapped some some deep mojo in terms of thematic material um uh, a couple of questions um why are the faces hoarding gold and killing fairies basically this uh when fairies die they become stars the night sky is their graveyard okay um, the faces have taken that graveyard and completely warped it. They've sapped all the color out of the stars, and they are using them to read, uh, read fates and foretell futures, basically twisting into, into it into an ast astrological zodiac for Why? their own followers. Why? Power. 
the best that's the best answer I got offhand. <laughs> I haven't asked okay. myself that why yet. <laughs> then, then that's that's one thing I'd I'd like uh, our, our esteemed panel to discuss is uh, uh, these these are I, I want to. One of the, you hear it time and time again. The best villain is the one that you can actually kind of agree with and get behind. Yeah. Uh, uh, and these guys aren't. Uh, they're 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 evil for the sake. They're doing bad things for for selfish reasons. And and you know that happens in the world. But in terms of of enriching the the depth of your story i think we could probably find maybe something that 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 gives the faces some credibility and and makes care's choice at the end maybe a little more difficult does that make sense yes okay um i love uh olmo and and olmo actually ended up being a a girl and and hiding her 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 identity uh, uh and that reveal at the end is very cool um there's there's one thing the sequence of events that you have unfolding, um, there's there's something missing there. There's a connective tissue uh, uh, that that is is missing because first of all, care needs more agency. He needs to be yes. doing more stuff. Right now, a lot of stuff is happening to care. People are saving him. People are pulling him out of stuff, and and he really doesn't do anything until the very end when he starts fighting uh, against the faces for some reason because he's actually a good guy. And I think we might want to polish that up too. Yeah. Uh, the 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 thing that strikes me is the thing that I found so cool: the notion of fate and destiny, and and struggling against that doesn't really factor into the events that are unfolding as they are laid out. Now, I understand that there can be, you know, side stories and, and cultural revelations and, and world building and so on and so forth, but the events themselves aren't directly tied to the theme of your story. Mm-hmm. And and I'd like to see if we can find a way to make fate and destiny and and how that works tied in a little more tightly so that it becomes a true theme that carries the characters and the story from beginning to end. Does that make sense? Yeah. One thing that I was trying to do is since Care himself, as far as he believes, does not have a fate, he keeps on making other people's come true okay. um, with his, his sister and with, uh, with Almo slash Almira. Um, he keeps on making other people's fates come to pass. Okay, then, then, and and why is that? Why, why, why does why is care the fate maker? Um, my guess is because the uh, well, what I'm figuring, kind of just toying around in my head, is the fates actually did the one that read him did see a fate that he was destined to bring them down and lied to him. Ah, um, okay. so that's that's my figure. That's uh, that could be a very big reveal that okay obviously didn't get in my outline. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. There's, there's, there's rich food for workshopping here. So uh, I'm going to pass it back over to Kat. Kat, what, what can we do to, to, to tighten, to enrich, to enhance the care's agency, the punch and power of the story? What, what, what's on your mind as far as that well, goes? One thing that I certainly would urge you to do is with each of the sections, uh, make sure that they end on a moment that leaves the reader sort of in question of what you, wanting to read move to the next section because uh, a couple of times when you were uh, talking about it and and I know that was truncated and, and this may not even be what's happening and you may have thought about this already but to, but just one of the things that you don't want people to do is when they get to an end of a section go oh this is a really good point to put the book down and go to bed right, right? You, you want them to go oh shit I, I'm not sure what happens next I you know and, and open up the next chapter and then you you reel them in because every time you 
shift point of view. And every time you shift from one section to another, you, you bounce the reader out of the narrative just a little and they go, Oh, right. I'm reading. So uh, that's something that I would, I would consider. And I, I would, you have a lot of POVs, right? And, mm-hmm. and they, they do revolve around care. Uh, but I make sure they're, they're pretty tightly woven together would mm-hmm. be my, my caveat about that. Cause if they're not really tightly woven together, uh, by which I mean there's you know just a, a lot of things connecting the sections. Mm-hmm. Uh, an editor is going to object to that many POVs and say you need to trim it down. And that, that was something else that occurred to me was that making sure, uh, just a, a quick point of clarification, in part two, who's the POV for that? Elmo. It is Elmo. And, yeah. and Elmo is hiding as a woman and you're going to have a POV and you're going to hide that? Yeah, she is pretending to be a boy at that point. She's about 10. Right. Is the audience mm-hmm. going to be aware of that? I We'll see how well I can pull it off. I'm going to have to try it a couple of ways. Yeah, that's a challenge. And and, yeah. it, and it also might feel a little bit betrayal uh, mm-hmm. on the part of the reader if you go, wait, I just went through a whole POV section and he was a guy and now he's a girl? Oh, but, but you can, there, there's an art to that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the, the problem is if you do it the wrong way, the readers feel bamboozled and they, they kind of go, fuck you. And, you know, and, and, you know, but if you can go back and if they can look back and go, oh shit, that was a clue. Yeah. Oh shit, that was a clue. I mean, it's, it's like in right. the, okay. the Sixth yes. Sense, right? You, you find yes. out that, that Bruce Wells is dead and suddenly you go back over all those moments and you go, right. That's good point. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think you're, you're safer not lengthening that out too much unless you can really pull it off. I, Kat's absolutely right. You can pull that off. I, I, I cheated that way in, in the Black Gods War and, you know, I seem to have pulled it off more or less. Like you can hide something the character knows, but hiding their sexual identity, to Dave's point, is a big deal. Um, yeah. So uh, personally, as you talked about this, I think what seems natural to me is that you could – maintain that charade for a chapter but by the Mm. end of the chapter i think we should i mean this is just my first thought and it may be bullshit but by the end of that chapter (laughs) i feel like we should have a good clue that uh either a good clue or we should absolutely know well and you could Um, even at the end of the chapter have omo you know early on reveal that she's a she to care (laughs) And create a bond between them early on, and have this, and raise the stakes of Omo's uh, outing uh, uh, in the world. And then later on, when when Omo is outed, a uh, care can step up and and defend his friend and and demonstrate that that he is indeed a hero, and and so on and so forth. Yeah, that that's a good thing they could eventually do together. I think, you know, you can also create a mystery hook by at the early in that chapter uh, from uh, Alo's uh, almost point of view, early in that chapter from almost point of view, you can reveal that Almo is hiding something. You know, that there, there's some concealment going on. There's a secret. Uh, and that, you know, gives the reader something to look forward to. And even if it comes out by the end of the chapter, it hooks them for a chapter that's good. Right. Can, can I ask, spell Elmo for me? A-L-M-O. Okay, okay. I, I keep hearing it as, as a small red puppet, and I'm just... Right. Can I take those? That's it. Yeah. God, no. Can yeah, I, no, I, 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 would, I would agree if you're about to suggest changing the name. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I do want to suggest two books that I think you should read if you want to work with an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. And one of them is uh, Set This House in Order 
by Matt Ruff, and that's R-U-F-F. And the other is The Wasp Factory by Ian Banks, B-A-N-K-S. And that, I think those are both excellent, unreliable narrators that you, I would certainly, if you're going to do something like that, because that is a toughie, and if I were going to do it, I would go and I would look at some of the best examples of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a question for you. Um, are we in the part of the show, Dave, where we can start to make suggestions or oh, are we doing something different? We are, we are way past that. Absolutely. So invoke okay. the what ifs, man. Okay. So you've got this element of care not having a fate and that being a, a very strong internal conflict for him. Uh, I, again, I like that. I, I, again, I'm wanting to see it linked to something greater because uh, what does the reader care about that? Can, we, can you really make them care about that? Some readers you may be able to, some readers may need something else. Um, what if there was a very significant consequence to having no fate and at, at least care would know this, maybe care and another figure, perhaps a mentor figure, perhaps it's you know a spirit uh, that speaks to him. Somehow care knows something that probably in this hypothetical scenario others do not know, which is that if he does have no fate, then Boom! Some kind of giant stakes are, are are you know are on the line here. The world is going to end, you know, being like the absolute end of the pendulum for you know how awful that the stakes could be. Uh, well, and you to- could even have some backstory where people without fates uh, uh, met with gruesome ends or or caused calamities or you know there's a mythology about that 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 is invoked when he's revealed to not have a fate. I'm right. talking my language now. Yeah. See, 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 because now, you know, now as I read that story, I may or may not care about care individually. I mean, obviously, the reader should care about care individually uh, or else the story is not going to work. But let's say I'm kind of like, oh, I kind of care about care right now. But if I know that if he doesn't have a fate, then the orphanage is going to go up in flames or, you know, or the world is going to end or the giant, you know, um, fluffy bunnies are going to devour everyone, then... Oh my God! What's going to happen with the fluffy bunnies now? I got to find out, you know. So I, I want I want his internal conflict tied very strongly to uh, bigger stakes and some sort of external conflict. Ideally, um, that was is my first what if question. Well, and and something else that that along that ties into that uh, uh, is some of the events that you have happening in this story, Gus, are profound and are are not ever visited back again. Uh, And again, I'm looking at this from a YA standpoint, and I don't have a lot of experience in the YA genre. Uh, uh, So Kat, feel free to jump in at any time. Um, But uh, uh, a father kicking a child out Mm -hmm. is traumatic. Uh, uh, I I can tell you, I had that happen. Uh, And it takes a long freaking time to get past that. And ultimately, you know, either there's a resolution between there's there's a resolution between sibling and parent, or uh, uh, something happens where the sibling, uh, the child rather, it's not sibling child, uh, uh, moves past that somehow. But but the fact that the father kicks Karen out and and Karen's fine with that, and yeah, sure, I'll hang out with the thieves. Uh, I think it's too easy, and and I would yeah. like to see more of that family stress and tension tied in. Now, holy crap! Not only doesn't he have a fate. He doesn't have a family anymore, you know, holy crap. And you're just hosed at this point. Um, The other thing was Care's suicide, 
which you know again in the in the young adults near adults genre that's that's not something to shy away from but again he tries suicide and he gets saved and we move on uh, uh, and and the level of despair I mean it, it seems like that's being treated very cavalierly and I think it could be revisited and actually become thematic I was going to suggest don't have Karsten save care uh, but rather have his sister save him uh, because that makes her death that much more poignant Karsten we don't know who Karsten is he's just this guy that shows up out of nowhere and, and now you have to explain who he is you've established Rita as a, as a sister and a character uh, uh, early on and by the way just having her pop up in part two you do need to seed her in part one well you, yeah you can't just have her manifest hi I'm, well, your, yeah. I'm your okay um and and you'll do that you're rushing i get it uh but but <laughs> blowing past the suicide i think that that needs more gravitas as well uh so i have more but i'm gonna shut the heck up and pass the mic over to cat <laughs> Sorry, I was so enraptured by what you were saying. I really don't have anything to say. I, I think you've been doing a great job. I mean, I think you're, you're thinking about a lot of stuff, and, and that examining the the whys behind stuff is is a really good suggestion. And it, it sounds like you spend some time daydreaming about the stuff behind uh, everything. Yeah. And, and I will pass it at that point. <laughs> I think you have more valuable things to say. Than that. Moses, so, go ahead, man. What makes us love care and want to read his story? Well, what do you think, Moses? Do you, what, what do you think would make Care a lovable, uh, engaging protagonist? What, what, are, what are the tools that, that are at a writer's beck and call to do that? Well, in a character with a strong protagonist, um, you know, who has to carry the story, the, keep this in mind. The reader has got to, be, to find that character compelling. They've got to find them sympathetic. They've got to find their voice tremendous. Um, they've got to feel some connection and want to read that character's story. Because remember... Uh, if Care is your protagonist, you're basically telling Care's story. And as long as you stay true to that, you tell his story, you know, however long it takes, you'll probably be fine. But it is very important, too, to make sure the reader loves, the readers love Care because you're investing so much of your energy in him. So, um, you know, one way to make uh, a character more compelling is they start off suffering. And he's got a good internal conflict. So if you can really sell his suffering, and it, it's often easier to relay that suffering in a way that is clear and obvious, not necessarily this more sort of philosophical wrangling that he does with himself, but you know, maybe it's quite clear, you know, his dad doesn't love him and blah, blah, blah. And, and right away we can feel sympathy for the, the son who is not loved by his father, for example, or the, the, the child who is not loved by his siblings or, you know, the child who has a physical uh, impediment or, you know, that's one way to do it. You, you give us a reason to feel sympathy for the, for the character. Um, another reason, this, is, this was the first thing I, I, I almost asked you here, is how is he awesome? Because another way to sell a character is they're, they're awesome. And, and the reader then wants to be that character. And when you read Pat Rothfuss, you want to be Quoth, because oh, Quoth is just super cool, right? <laughs> so you want that same effect if you're going to focus on this, this character. You want the reader to read that guy and go, I want to be that guy. Now, you don't do that with every story, but I think this is the kind of story where you do want to do that. Care needs to be awesome. So you got to ask yourself, how is he awesome? Sometimes people have a special power. That's you know a, a simple trick. The character is unusual. They have a certain kind of magic or psychic thing or connection to the spirit world. Somehow they've got a little something extra, and that, that obviously brings in the fantasy elements as well. Your story seems to have plenty of fantasy elements, but 
Um, that's a thing you, you can do. And uh, I will turn it back to Kat for some other ideas for how to make a character compelling. Show, show them caring about something. Uh, you know, we show them caring about another human being or caring about a, a animal or plant. Uh, show, show them cherishing, cherishing something. Uh, you know, and and one of the the strategies I've noticed in a lot of the YAs that I've read in recently is that often chapters will start with intense uh, physical sensation of some kind. Uh, they are freezing to death or they are, you know, in the middle of a snowstorm or they are, you know, they've just in the middle of a, the logs have fallen on them and their arm is crashed. Um, and I think that, you know, we, we talk about using sensory stuff and we talk about using uh, smell and sight and touch and all of that. And there's a lot of physical details that kind of go sort of the other dimensions of touch and pain and queasiness and temperature extremes and, you know, vertigo are all part of that. So let us feel what it's like to be inside your character's skin, even down to the physical sensations that they are going through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the whole, you know, animals like him uh, Mm -hmm. is is always a cue to everyone that this person is a hero of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Something that that has been developing in my mind, Gus, uh, uh, is is the notion that when when care is pronounced fateless, um, you have an incredible opportunity to start exploring the notion of the other. Uh, because at this point, and it depends on how you build it up. So so here here's I'm just going to riff for just a second here. Um, at the beginning, care is the golden child. Uh, uh, care is the man. Uh, everybody wants to be care because care is so awesome. And oh man, when the faces come to town and name the fate, everybody wants to be there because care's fate is going to be like an epic fantasy story and everybody wants to see it. And and that's important because family is incredibly important important to this culture. If you if you set up the fact that you know people trace their lineage back generations and houses and dynasties, uh, mercantile, craft, uh, uh, political, whatever, if family is is the way that you chart your course through the world, uh, then you set it up later on where when his father kicks him out, uh, uh, that it's, it's a much greater loss. But if you set up care as like this incredible guy, for some reason, uh, uh, He's, he's, he's charming, he's charismatic, he has a way with animals, maybe he's empathic with animals. Uh, maybe he, he can te- not, not speak to them, but encourage them in some way. I don't know. Uh, so that when the faces come, it's not only he's crestfallen, but the whole world is crestfallen. Because here's this hero they were expecting. Care is actually going to be their doom, uh, 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 you know, he's, he's going to bring about a plague, you know, a fateless person is a great unknown quantity and basically setting up the faces. And, and that's the other, that's the other, I'm sorry, I'm rambling here, but there's so much, uh, uh, one of the things that fate and, and, and destiny and fortune telling and all of these things do is, is feed our desire for an, a, a certain future rather than an uncertain one. Uh, uh, and the fact that the faces provide that makes them very powerful and makes them very strong. Um, so, so the fact that uh, if you build it up, then anybody without a fate is just anathema. 
they they introduce a randomness, a wild factor to the world that nobody wants. Uh, uh, you could you could you could really almost go uh, uh, dystopian in that respect, and maybe distort it a little bit. I don't know. Um, so so uh, waxing along those lines, uh, uh, and and one other minor sidebar thing, uh, uh, maybe the fact that his sister Rita is going to die. Uh, uh, in in you know a few months at the beginning of the move at the uh, beginning of the movie at the beginning of the book someday someday at the beginning of the book uh, his sister is gonna die in a few months and and that that you know make that something that's 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 important to him you know maybe maybe when his father kicks him out the first thing he does is run to find his sister uh, uh and and or, or or you know something that 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 because there's what everybody's talking about make him care about somebody make him care about his sister yeah yeah it's a it's a great point and it reminds me of an, a thing i heard dave farland teaching us actually he was talking about transport and if you the perfect story would theoretically transport your reader physically to another world or another mm. place um emotionally it would transport you into the feelings of the character as well uh and intellectually it transport you transports you into a world where you have to consider all sorts of new wonderful things um but the the i asked dave at this workshop actually how do you do emotional transport better and he said something similar to what Kat was saying earlier, which is give them something to care about. Show that they care about certain people. If you want to do emotional transport, uh, that's, that's key. Um, and you've got a kind of a story where I think emotional transport makes sense because the internal conflict for care is very strong. Therefore, you do want to spend time in his head working through some of his emotions and seeing him work through those emotions you know, through the course of the story, through dialogue, through actions, and so on. But um, by, I, I agree very much with what Dave is just saying. If you give him also someone that he cares about very much, it, you, you get this beautiful emotional current that can add another layer of transport to your story. Well, yeah, and, 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 and that, that connection, uh, uh, the fact that he's a random factor, the fact that a fateless person uh, uh, is chaotic means he could disrupt other people's destinies and fates. Uh, so it makes sense if he cares about his sister to go and seek her out to save her so that he could disrupt her fate and then he fails. And oh, what a what an emotional blow that is. Get the whole try-fail cycle in there. Yeah, oh, yeah exactly, exactly. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about the faces uh, uh, and the antagonist of the story and, and some way where we can make them other than, than greedy, grasping, power-hungry old men. Uh, uh, can we... Can we Find yeah. some way to make them more like, you know, they actually kind of have a point. I may not agree with how they're doing it, but I, I kind of get it. Or maybe make them at least something that they believe are good guys. I think that's a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think it is a good idea in the sense that something needs to change with them a little yeah. bit. The question is what needs to change. Um, I'm just going to throw out another way to handle this. It's... Mm -hmm. Um, just, you know, because we're brainstorming. We're going to give you yeah. ideas, and you're going to figure out what works for you. Yeah. Um, I have these, in the Black Gods War, I have ten gods um, that this culture worships. And they're, they're not, not terribly unlike the Greek and Roman gods. It's meant to resonate with them. Uh, but part of, the, part of what works for those characters is even when they, they seem like they're antagonists, and they, and they seem uh, that there's mystery to them, that, you know, you have these very mysterious figures, and one of the mysteries that actually did work 
apparently well in my novel is, well, what do the gods really want? What are they really about? In fact, even who are they? What what are they really? I mean, it's another way you could do it, that these faces um, have this real mystery about them that your character has to then be exploring if you go that route. Yeah. Kara's Care, got to be trying to figure out who are these faces? Maybe he has, you know, maybe sees them in his dreams or visions or he hears the voice or, you know, he, he sees writing, you know, appear, you know, in his, in his, on his scroll, you know, and it's from them. And, oh my God, what is this? And like, or he's going to go and confront them and say, no, give me a fate. I can't right. live fateless. You know, I, you, you are going to give me a fate. Damn it. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so th that's a way to not like make them good necessarily or kind of give them their like charismatic angle but but mystery but i mean that, that's one technique and i stress that's just one way to do sure, it sure um yeah i, I think that to, to the other point um if you know like, like are you going to write scenes from their point of view or the the fates or like a prologue or epilogue or anything like that or, or are we going to always are they going to be always outside of our point of view I don't plan to write anything from their POV. Oh, oh, God! You could have one of the but, care, but that, but that could change. What, what if, what if one of Care's good friends, when the Fates giving are giving out Fates, what if they take one of his best friends as a Fate priest and and leave the village after after denying Care his fate, take his friend off with him? I know it adds another character to the. Well, to I the do roster. actually. I do later on have. Um, Rita's twin brother becoming one, so I could just do that a lot sooner. Yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of siblings that are popping up out of nowhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. He's the I'm, youngest of five. They're all there at the beginning. They just weren't in my synopsis. Yeah. Okay. I, I, my my instinct is to trim down the cast list a little bit, yeah. uh, and 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 invest these intriguing plot twists into one character rather than distributing it and, and diluting it over several mm -hmm. that you have to then introduce, get us to care about, and then have events happen. Compress, consolidate. Yeah. That, that feels right to me too, yeah. 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 Um, Kat, any thoughts on, on the antagonist and what we can do to, to make them a little more authentic? Well, I mean, you, you talked about kind of making them so... You're like, well, I understand where they're getting at, even though I don't agree with their methods. And I think that's important to remember that people don't just sort of roll out of the evil overlord factory. <laughs> but you've got you, you've got this. I think you said there was a limited number. I, I don't remember whether it was eight or ten. And I, I would suggest making it so that there is one or two, rather than having them interact with the faces as sort of a, a group, uh, you know, pull out one or two faces and give us some insight into why they are faces. I mean, you know, it, it may be they're, they, you know, they were forced into it and their parents were just like, okay, now here you go. And, and if so, I, I just, you know, make them seem a little more human to us. Mm -hmm. Make us, and the same thing is with the, the character, show them caring for something. Uh, that's, uh, you know, one of the best things you can do. Everybody's, you know, even the, the the villains think they're the hero. So why do they think they're the hero? How are they living up to being a hero in their heads? I actually have an idea about that. Okay. Um, uh, Gus, one of the, you've got these, you've got these nature priests and the fairies and you've got the faces and you've got humanity kind of in between. Mm -hmm. And, and you've set up these two forces as, as kind of shields, for humanity, you've got them almost as parent 
figures. Uh, uh, the, the fairies, you know, make sure the crops are abundant and, and everything is joyful and trolly. And don't worry about anything because we're fairies. And you've got the face saying, we'll tell you everything that's going to happen ahead of you. Yeah. So you have nothing to worry about. And really, it might be a coming of age story for this culture. Have it be that the fairies are dying on their own. The fates have nothing. The faces have nothing to do with it. They're trying to pick up the pieces and keep humanity on a steady track and keep the culture uh, protected by using their 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 destiny magic to to reinstill a, a dependency, the same dependency that they had on the fairies. And at the end, it's not that the fairies are going to come back. It's that now we have to stand on our own, and that is exactly how you deal with having no fate. You are going to stand. Stand on your own. You don't need a fate. And Ooh. that is Care's catharsis at the end. That's pretty sweet. I don't, I like think, I have, I don't think I have a swear that's sufficient enough to explain <laughs> <laughs> my emotional state at this moment. Um, also on your, your faces, uh, they're connected with eight star signs, you said. Now, this is a really rich thing you can do a lot with. You can just oh, make, yeah. make it really, really cool. Make it awesome. And is there a con- now? How many fates faces die? Was it two? Well, in the, in the end, all of them, but care. But yeah, the, the originally we just saw them killing two. Okay. I, what I wonder is: is there a consequence when a face dies who is linked to one of the eight star signs? You could do all kinds of stuff with that. I'll just leave you with that. Good thought. Good thought. Well, and and we are kind of wrapping up here. We're, we're pushing the limit of our time. So what I'd like to do is go around the table one last time, Kat, Moses, and myself, and and give any final thoughts to Gus, any any uh, encouragement or, or specific points that we can send him off with so that he's got a basket full of literary gold. Cat, uh, uh, I'm going to start so, off with so you. What do you got? Gus, is this completely written? What state is this in? What I gave you is what I got. It's okay, outlined. Okay, okay, So butt in chair, my friend, and start writing it. <laughs> um, and then when you've got a draft, and, and it, it will be a shitty draft, and you'll get to the point mm-hmm. where you're just like, I hate this so much. But when you get to the point where it's a complete draft, put it away for at least a month and then come back to it. Oh, yeah. Sound advice. Moses? I actually feel like you are a very similar writer to me. I think you write toward a conclusion and a denouement. And you have a sense of where the story is going. Um, I think, like me, the thing I tend to have to work on the most is getting people to the part where all the awesome things come together. Oh, my God, yes. Right? (laughs) All the beautiful things come together. And so that's, you know, where you have to look at every chapter you write. Your early chapter has to – your first chapter has to be super amazing. Uh, All those early chapters have to be quite amazing. And they've all got to have strong hooks that make the reader keep turning the pages. And you've got to give them as many things to care about as possible, to be curious about as possible. Great characters, great setting, great action, great everything needs to be great because the story's got – you've got to bridge that, that story to get to your conclusion, to get to where you want to end up. And as I heard the story, my sense is just there can be more drama, more significance, more stakes – I can have a stronger identification with the character. I think you really just got to work on how to pull people right into that story so they can get to that beautiful ending that you've scripted. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, For myself, Gus, um, consolidate characters uh, uh, and invest single characters with more awesomeness. Um, Focus on those key events, the, 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 
tragedy, the the trauma of a father kicking out a son, uh, uh, yeah. the death of, or the death of a sister, uh, the impending death, and then the ensuing death of the sister, and the emotional fallout from that, the attempted suicide. Uh, uh, do not brush these very very potent things. Use them to drive the story. Lash them uh, uh, to the events that are unfolding. Um, make your villains uh, 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 good guys, but doing it wrong uh, uh, in some way. So they, so we can get behind them and maybe even feel sympathy for them. Uh, work that other uh, perspective uh, a little bit. And I'd even recommend a romance uh, between Care and Olmo uh, uh, being best friends. And then when Care discovers he's been a she all along, uh, uh, the awakening of, whoa, there's some strange feelings that I need to deal with. If this is YA, that's totally appropriate. Yeah, I'd um, actually considered that before. Okay. So uh, yeah. you're vibing rock, with me on that one, man. Rock that on. And then, and then uh, yeah, so I, I, you've, got, you've got rich, rich, skeleton with good meat on it gus here uh uh so so i and and i gotta say dude thank you so yeah. much for bringing yeah. this goodness to us man we so appreciate it that was a great story so thank you thank you yes okay now here's the deal gus and i and i know you're gonna make this happen so this will eventually be this is basically your fate i'm gonna give you <laughs> your fate you write oh, this story you publish this story uh, and, and as soon as it's out there on Amazon or Smash Merds or Kobo, or even if it's even if you're just giving it away on PDF, you come back, you let us know, yeah. and we will knight you. We will <laughs> make you a knight of the Roundtable podcast. I guess I'll swear it. <laughs> yeah, because that's yeah. the reaction we always look for for that. Thanks, yeah, guys. Let me try this again. Yes. May I live a hundred years and never hunt again. <laughs> there you go. There you well, go. The, the, thing, the thing Dave isn't telling you is if if you don't become a knight of the round table, the zombies will kill you. Ooh, yes. We need a stick to go with the carrot. <laughs> that is it. The, the apocalypse is coming, and uh, you're gonna need you're gonna need your knighthood. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Cat Rambo, thank you so much for 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 lending your insights for for infusing this whole workshop with 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 awesomeness. I appreciate you taking the time and and really just diving in and making this cool. <laughs> thank you. It's a lot of fun to do. It so is, isn't it? And and Moses, my man, this has been a rock and blast. I, I had a blast. I did. I did. And I'm hoping, you know, at, at this point, friends, uh, Brian Humphrey, my, my customary co-host, he, he has a child. He has a, a job that has literally exploded all around him. Uh, his life has gotten very busy. We're going to get him back as often as possible. Uh, but there are going to be several opportunities for guest co-hosts to come in and, and sit uh, in the wingman chair. And Moses, I do hope you'll consider uh, coming back again. Anytime. Awesome. Very cool. Well, friends, there it is. We've 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 frothed. We we've created. We've brainstormed, and there's there's literary gold strewn all across the floors. We're exhausted. I'm smoking a cigarette. It, it's been awesome, uh, but 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 the awesomest, the, the even more awesome thing is that in a week. It's going to start all over again. We're going to have another awesome guest host. We're going to have interviews. We're going to have another courageous writer coming back, sharing a story idea uh, and, and brainstorming like mad fiends that we are. Uh, so between now and then, we, of course, wish you awesome writing and the flow of words. Moses, any any parting advice for them? Uh, 
gosh, I, uh, I don't know. I just hope I get to do this again. It was fun. <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to fate you as well. It will happen again. All right. Good, good. And friends, you find what you're looking for. So look for the blue label goodness, top shelf awesomeness, and it will be yours. We will see you in a week. Until then, be cool, stay awesome, stay frosty, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. Adios. This episode is copyright 2014 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable Podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.